This is the Bible Book Club, where each episode we dive deep into the only book written 2,000 years ago that can still change your life today. Welcome to the club! Well, last episode, we learned that the words, and the Lord called to Moses, are actually the link from Exodus to Leviticus. So the Lord called to Moses from the top of Mount Sinai in Exodus with instructions to build the tabernacle. And now the Lord calls Moses from the tabernacle in Leviticus with instructions on how to worship in the tabernacle. So it's this transition from the mountain to the mobile tabernacle, and it is complete. And Israel is moving into another phase of its journey to become a great nation, just as was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis when we studied that. So the three types of offerings that we've already learned about are the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship, or also called the peace offering. And that is where we find ourselves (laughs) this episode. We covered a lot of offerings last week. It was detailed, and we are going to cover just two more types this week. And these are still, again, all five of these offerings are made by the people And they were completed through complex ritual sacrifices. And that's the division that we are in right now. Now, why? Why did they do this is the big question. The rituals in Leviticus provide a temporary solution to the separation of God and man. Remember, we looked at it last week. God is holy. Man is not. We sinned. And so they are separated. But God wants to be in relationship. So why are we separated? Why can't God just dwell among the Israelites. Well, it's back to the beginning we go. When God created the world, he created it so he could be in relationship with man. Back in Genesis, there was order in creation. There was God's presence in creation. It was holy and pure and perfect. No pain, no death, no tears. But man sinned and was exiled from the place God had created for them. And they were separated. There was disorder. There was an enemy now um, instead of God's presence, Satan. And he is the enemy of God. It was polluted and impure, touched by sin. So God, still desiring to be in community with man, despite what we had done, and Israel specifically, because he's chosen these people to be his people, at this point in our story, is provided a temporary solution to the separation, and it's laid out in Leviticus. God commanded that the Israelites obey laws for atonement and purification so they could be together. The people learned the laws from Moses here in this book. They learned that what was sin and to desire forgiveness and purification. The offerings or rituals mercifully provided a way for man to sacrificially atone for their sin and to purify themselves and purify the tabernacle from their sin so that God could once again dwell among them, not as comfy and cozy as they were in paradise, but in the Ark of the Covenant. It was a temporary separation solution. Leviticus provides the separation solution to the problem of God and man's separation. 
And I have made a diagram of this in the show notes. So track with me. But if you can't, there's a visual because this is a great concept to explain all the ritual that we're studying right now. It had a really important purpose. So if you picture now, you have God on one side and man on the other. And in between them is this barrier, this separation. They are separate and they cannot come together. So the problem was God creates a world and a place to dwell with man, but man sinned and is exiled from the place God created for them. So they are apart. Now, like I said, there's order on the one side with God and God's presence, and it's holy and pure. But on man's side, there's disorder. There's Satan's presence, and it's polluted and impure. Well, God then, they're coming closer. God commands laws of atonement and purification, and the people learn the laws and identify their sin, and then they develop a desire for forgiveness and purification. Now, the rituals are in the middle, and this is where God and man cross over. It's through the ritual that they sacrificially atone for their sin and purify for them sin, and then God can dwell among them, the people in the tabernacle. So I just kind of said it in two different ways. You can check it on a diagram to remember it, but if you remember nothing else about Leviticus, this was the purpose, this this separation solution until, of course, we know it all points to Christ. But until then, this is Israel's lot in life is to sacrifice over and over and over again. And they need first the tabernacle for that. And then later, they're going to build a more permanent tabernacle, the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so what was the purpose of ritual? Ritual was a means for Israel to have limited interaction with God. It is limited. The tabernacle was a place that made interaction with God possible despite their separation from God because of the fall and sin. The Israelites could come to the tabernacle and give something to God as a tangible way to express devotion, thanks, or to make atonement for sin and receive forgiveness and purification. And that covers those five offerings, three of which we had last week, two more this week. This temporary solution um, points to the permanent solution to our separation from God, which happened through Christ's death on the cross about 1,400 years after Leviticus. So they are going to be sacrificing a heck of a lot of animals between now and Jesus. We can well, I tell you what, if we still had to be sacrificing <laughs> every be time really we sin, I'd be sacrificing a lot of animals too and thank the good Lord I don't have to. Exactly. All right. Now it's back to the ritual law school part two. These are laws for making offerings by the people, starting with the fourth offering of five. The first three, remember, were the burnt, the grain, and the fellowship. And these are the three basics that are done most often. The remaining two offerings are a variation of the burnt offering and therefore are for atonement of types of sin. All right, so starting with the purification or sin offering, which is a distinct type of burnt offering, like I said, why was it called a purification offering? Okay, so let me introduce to you this concept of sin pollution. And it's going to correlate with things you hear throughout the Bible about being clean and unclean and blah, blah, blah. 
What the sin offering accomplished is better defined as a purification offering. The sin offering purified the sinner and the sanctuary. It removed the defilement from the sin. So sin is a form of disorder. Like I said, there was order in creation and then there was disorder because of sin. And therefore, theoretically, sin is like dirt. It pollutes. Our holy God cannot abide the presence of people or things that are not clean. Each time people sinned, they contaminated themselves. They were unclean and it created pollution in the camp. They made other things unclean by being unclean. So the burnt offering explained in the last episode solved the problem of the Lord's wrath with atonement, but it did not purify the one offering the sacrifice. That's why these offerings often go together. There there still needed to be the removal of sin's pollution from the worshipers and the instruments of worship. The blood of this sin offering accomplished the cleansing. The tabernacle that became defiled because it was located in the midst of a sinful people was cleansed by the blood of the sacrifice. And the sinner was made clean and able to stand before God again. So that's the gist of why the purification had to happen. So it's really a purification offering. Does that make sense? Yes. But what continually goes through my head as I, even as we are studying Leviticus and and what we've already learned so far, I still don't understand why we have to go through all this ritual. Why some of it just seems so foreign and so weird. Well, it does. But then remember, it was a reminder to them of the third world they were longing for. Remember the concept, the spirituality of God is is something that we can't begin to understand. So this constant reminder of life and death, life and death, they lost the tree of life when they were kicked out of paradise. And that was a very real thing to them. We don't think about life and death as much as they did, I believe. And so the sacrifice of animals, but trust me, this is just the tip of the iceberg on what we're going to get into in the symbolism of their world. And there was a lot more symbolism than ours. Like we have the Last Supper and we have certain rituals that we do repetitively in church, but they had a lot more. And and purposefully, they couldn't read like we can read. We have the Bible we can study. They didn't. So they reenacted these things. Well, and I think you also said, I don't remember if it was last episode or the very first episode of this season, you said that it's also so that we can remember how what we used to have to go through and appreciate the fact that we don't have to do that anymore with Jesus. Well, I think, yeah, we should. We. I think that's why we should study Leviticus. Right. So we can thank God every single day that Jesus set us free from all this. Um, that yes, while this happened for over a thousand years, it, it's not happening anymore. Okay, let's start in chapter four. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, in any of the Lord's commands. All right, so we're about to go over three types of sin. Unintentional, which is committed by mistake, which you still had to atone for. High-handed, which means you committed it with clear signs of rebellion. And intentional, but not high-handed, which was committed deliberately, but not rebelliously. Now, an example of an un... My kids, basically? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and commit all three of those every day? Exactly. An example of an unintentional sin is just what it sounds like. Either you didn't realize you did it or you didn't realize it was a sin. A simplified example from today might be your 
are driving 70 miles an hour and cross into a stretch of highway where the speed limit drops to 55 and you walk right, you drive right into a speed trap. You didn't know because you missed the sign. It was unintentional. It was, you just, it was an accident. The outcome, however, is that you're still responsible regardless and have to pay the speeding ticket. Now, if you were going 90, that probably would have been high-handed. You knew what you were doing. You can't go 90, 100 before your car kind of shakes a little and you kind of know you're way over the speed limit. So you see the difference there. Unintentional sinning, uh, there were classifications of offerings by types of people. Now, this makes sense because so there were, you know, different sin offerings for four different types of people, priests, the collective community, a leader and a citizen. And of course, depending on your responsibility, you had to offer more. It cost you more. Leaders and priests were were held to a higher standard. If you were president of the United States, you'd have to give a bull. I'm sorry. You got (laughs) to. Whereas me, I'd only have to give probably a pigeon. (laughs) Um, All right. So the first two, this is going to describe the offering, the priests for the priests and the collective community. And these were more serious and their offering reflected that it took place. The offering took place in the in the holy place and it was more costly. It was a bull. Now, the collective community could sin in totality, which was interesting to me. I don't know how that would happen, that the whole group sins, but certainly in the case of Aaron and the golden calf, it happened. (laughs) They all went down together. So here's unintentional priestly sin offering. Verse three, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it there before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it to the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering and all the fat that is connected into the internal organs, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox sacrificed as a fellowship offering. Then the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the hide of the bull and all of its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the internal organs and intestines, that is all the rest of the bull, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean, where the ashes are thrown, and burn it there in a wood fire on the ash heap. All right, I think this is a great concept. I think if we held our leaders to a little bit higher standard than the rest of the world, they might behave a little better. <laughs> oh, well, we don't talk politics here on the Bible. Oh, no, we don't. <laughs> okay, unintentional. Well, it could be pastors, too. Um, all right, this is this is the reading for unintentional community sin. Verse 13, if the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is 
is to take some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. He shall dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle it before the Lord seven times in front of the curtain. He is to put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all of the fat from it and burn it on the altar and do with this bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. This is the sin offering for the community. All right, a couple of highlights for the purification offerings for priests in the collective community. It took place in the holy place of the tabernacle, which is a little more sacred than the outer courtyard. It was bulls only, so it was costly. Only the high priest can officiate. There were two applications of blood, sprinkling in the holy place in front of the inner veil and applying it to the horns of the altar of incense in the holy place. The fat is burned on the altar. Remaining parts of the bull are burned outside the camp. Nothing is eaten. It is all to atone for sin and to purify them and the sanctuary, and the sin passes from them to the ball. The second two unintentional sin classifications were for a leader in the community or a citizen of the community. These were less serious because these were lower people on the class rung, and their offering reflected that. It took place on the outer altar, and it was less costly, an animal from a flock. So first, the unintentional leader's sin. Verse 22, when a leader sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord his God. When he realizes his guilt and the sin he has committed becomes known, he must bring his offering, a male goat without defect. He is to lay his hand on the goat's head and slaughter it at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall burn the fat on the altar as he burned the fat of the fellowship offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the leader's sin and he will be forgiven. Okay, and here's a reading for the unintentional community member's sin. Verse 27, if any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven." If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. They are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all of the fat just as the fat is removed from the lamb of the fellowship offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. All right, so highlights from the purification offerings for a leader or a citizen took place in the outer altar, not in the holy place. It sacrificed a flock animal rather than the more expensive bulls. 
any ordinary priest could officiate because probably they had to do a lot more of these. And there was only one application of blood to the horns of the altar outside the holy place. The fat was burned on the altar and the priest, in this case, can eat the meat. Now, moving on to chapter five, there are three specific types of sins that require a purification offering. So now the people are going to get, okay, so that's how you do the offering. It's for unintentional sin, but let's talk about specific types of sins. One is failing to give testimony. Another is failing to deal properly with your impurity. And another is failing to fulfill an oath. So how are these sins unintentional? They didn't sound unintentional to me. They are still out of neglect rather than high-handed or rebellious. God's bottom line for determining the classification of sin is the heart. Was the person being disloyal to God when they did this? It is all about relationship with God. So here we go, chapter five. Well, I'm gonna tell you, if I was a priest, I would probably unintentionally screw all this up because (laughs) it's all like almost the same, only a slight Slight little variation. And I would have had to have a very detailed account of this in some kind of a book so I could remember it because this is a lot. Like God's a micromanager. Yeah, we're going to get to that. And not next episode, but the one after, we're going to get to that. Some bad things happen because it is so detailed. It's very Um, detailed. But we'll get to that. And I guess if you're a priest, that's your only job is to know all of this. So they probably figure it out. But man, it'd be hard to remember. It was hard to remember. And truthfully, it's a hard job. I wouldn't want to smell like carcasses all day. I mean, just, ugh, it sounds brutal to me. Okay, keep going. Chapter five. If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge to testify regarding something they have seen or learned about, they will be held responsible. If anyone becomes aware that they are guilty, if they unwittingly touch anything ceremonially unclean, whether the carcass of an unclean animal, wild or domestic, or of any unclean creature that moves along the ground, they are unaware that they have become unclean, but then they come to realize their guilt, or if they touch human uncleanliness, anything that would make them unclean, even though they're unaware of it, but then they learn of it and realize their guilt, or if anyone thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though they are unaware of it, but then they learn of it and realize their guilt. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. They are to bring them to the priest who shall first offer the one for the sin offering. He is to wring its head from its neck, not dividing it completely, and is to splash some of the blood of the sin offering against the side of the altar. The rest of the blood must be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. The priest shall then offer the other as a burnt offering in the prescribed way to make atonement for them for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven." If, however, anyone cannot afford two doves or two young pigeons, 
they are to bring as an offering for their sin a tenth of an ephath of the finest flour for a sin offering. They must not put olive oil or incense in it because it is a sin offering. They are to bring it to the priest who shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. It is a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for any of these sins they have committed and they will be forgiven. The rest of the offering will belong to the priest as in the case of the grain offering. Okay, so I hope you heard multiple times, they will be forgiven. They will be forgiven. Well, the purification offerings for these specific types of sin went happened like this. First, they kind of had this realization they did something wrong, even though they didn't intend to, it was unintentional, and they must confess it first by bringing forward this offering. They offer a female lamb or goat, or if they can't afford it, two doves or pigeons, or if they can't afford that, flower. And then they are forgiven. The significance of the purification offering for today is this. Well, we were purified and cleansed from our sin. How? Our sins are forgiven, but there was a cost to that forgiveness. Somebody else paid it for us. To forgive means to give up something. It comes from those words, to give up something, forgive, to give up. God gave up his son. The cost to God was the most personal sacrifice of all. It was his perfect son, the sacrificial lamb who was perfect. All we have to do is repent and ask for forgiveness. Unlike the Israelites who had to repetitively give something costly up for their sin, we that was done for us. All right, moving on to the final type of offering that is made by the people. The fifth and final offering is the reparation or guilt offering. Like the purification offering, this offering is a variation of the burnt offering and it atones for sin. Now, the reparation offering is made because of guilt from the misuse of tabernacle property or a neighbor's property. Therefore, the sin requires reparation. Reparation means to make amends for a wrong or to compensate. It required a more costly sacrifice, a ram. An example of this would be taking and using something holy, like eating the first fruits that have been set aside for a tithe to the priests. Or perhaps the person goes to the market and sells goats. Remember, these are still kind of unintentional. He sells goats, but he gets home and he does an accounting and he realizes he has too much money for the amount of inventory left. He can't reconcile. Someone must have gotten gotten cheated and paid for more than they got. So he has to make reparation. Verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, when anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, they are to bring to the Lord as a penalty, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver. According to the sanctuary shekel, it is a guilt offering. They must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things. Pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value and give it all to the priest. The priest will make atonement for them with the ram as a guilt offering, and they will be forgiven. All right, here's five types of sin that require guilt or reparation offerings. Verse 17, if anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though they do not know it, 
they are guilty and will be held responsible, they are to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the wrong they have committed unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. They have been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. Continuing in chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen or if they cheat their neighbor or if they find lost property and lie about it or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit. When they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to them or the lost property they found or whatever it was they swore falsely (laughs) about. They must make restitution in full and a fifth of the value to it and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect, and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them before the Lord, and they will be forgiven for any of the things they did that made them guilty. Okay, lots of discussion about both of these offerings, actually the purification, this one, like if it was unintentional, how would they know they did it? But, you know, people find out later they did stuff. Now, half of these you just read, it sounds like they were rather intentional, but they weren't high-handed apparently, because we're going to find out later about high-handed sins. You get literally kicked out of the camp permanently. (laughs) So these were obviously not that strict. Now, there is a little bit of significance for reparation offerings today, and we can uh, read about that in Matthew 5.23. The point is here that we need to make right our wrongs, and that's what they were doing here. They were righting a wrong, and they were writing it by adding a fifth to the value, like returning whatever they had, like, okay, if I accidentally killed your goat, I'd have to give you a goat and a fifth. I don't know how that works. <laughs> how do you give a fifth of the goat? But, um, and then they'd also have to atone for their sin. So it's like a double whammy. Today, we know from Matthew 5, 23, it says, therefore, and he's referring back to this principle in Leviticus. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And in this case, the gift would be a tithe or whatever. Maybe you were just laying something at the altar or your first fruits, whatever it was. Or bringing the, back whatever it yes. was, like it said you had to. Yes, but to God, the re, the re, it's all about the relationship and he wants us to go back and make whatever is wrong right. No disharmony, which I love that. You know, you said it would probably be not so much fun to be a priest and smell like carcasses all day, but it probably would be fun to be that person who got the job of taking all the things that were returned to the people in the temple and being like, <laughs> hey, hey, I got you back your, your cloak. And they yeah. stole it. They brought it back. Isn't it a happy yeah. day? I mean, it is, to a certain extent, they did legislate a lot, I think, as priests. So different different time, different life. Next week is going to be really fun. I just have to say, we have a, a, a Bible bender for me coming next week. Next well, episode. I can't wait for that. I love Bible benders. Mm-hmm. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome, welcome to, to the, the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. 
As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.